A big part of traditional DevRel has always been speaking in front of an audience. Whether at a virtual meetup or live at a large conference, it can be complicated to navigate coming up with an idea, building a talk, getting it accepted somewhere, and actually delivering the thing. We wanted to take a look at some of the tips, tricks, and things that you need to know to be successful in finding your way to becoming a great DevRel speaker. You're listening to The Community Pulse, a podcast about developer relations, community management, and all things tech advocacy. Let's see what our hosts are chatting about this episode. Hello, Jason. Hey, Peach. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. It's good to be here. Another Friday, which means another recording for the community polls. I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, I, big deal. We're talking about public speaking, specifically as it affects DevRel. We'll get into some specifics, but we also have some great guests. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. I'm going to just pull them up on our screen here. So first of all, we've got Kat Cosgrove. Hi, Kat. Thanks hey for there. Coming. How's it going? Good. How are y'all? Oh, we're we're so good. Living the dream. Today. Happy, yeah, just happy to have you all. So let's get our other guest on here too. Hi, Vicky. Well, howdy, kids. Uh, oh, look at that tasty beverage there with you. Um, yeah, and uh, we're doing something a little a little different today. We are live broadcasting across several different channels, and of course, we're recording this, which will go out on our usual podcasting media. Um, but uh, yeah, we're here today to talk about uh, tips for getting started in DevRel as, uh, as speakers, which is, I don't know, it's kind of a key thing to, to this role, don't you think, uh, Vicki? Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it tends to be something that uh, DevRel is a major part of DevRel, but, um, you know, as, as Mary's book shows, there's lots of different ways to do that, right? Um, but public speaking especially is, is, seems to be top of mind for people. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I thought we would uh, just sort of start the show off by going around the room and everyone sharing where you got started with public speaking. And maybe we can start up things off with Kat. Kat, you want to share with us uh, any early memories about how public speaking was for you? Yeah, so like beyond school, um, you know, like having to read a report in front of the class or whatever, the first time I did like an actual talk was when I was still an engineer, I um, I was an embedded Linux engineer and we were building some like proof of concept that involved um, hacking a drone. It was a Parrot Bebop 2. And um, it turns out that those things are like alarmingly easy to break into, which was really cool, but um, it, it took very little Python to break into this thing and take control of a whole swarm of them, which terrifying. Uh, I don't think they make these drones anymore. But uh, you can for sure find them on eBay if you want to try. And um, I thought that was really fun. And there's a there's a popular um, Python meetup group here in Seattle called Puppy. And I thought this is exactly the kind of like stupid shit that this group of people loves. So I got up and talked for 15 minutes about getting paid to like crack into a drone and be become like the drone lich king with like a, a swarm of uh like subordinate drones and um i was terrified 
I was terrified, even though like I knew everybody in the room and it was only like 40 people or something. But it felt great afterwards, even though like stuff went wrong with my presentation, mic stopped working and I had to yell. So I got all of the like things that can go wrong during a talk on stage out of the way in my first talk. And from there, it's just been gravy. (laughs) Vicky, what about you? You got any stories for us? Uh, so years and years and years ago, there used to be a conference here in Portland, uh, even before I lived in Portland called, um, open source bridge. Um, and I'd been going to that one and OzCon and, um, and stuff. And I would see these people speaking at, on, on stage, so to speak, right? There's never actually a stage, but on stage. Um, and I'd be like, oh, wow. These people are like gods, right? They know that all this stuff, they're amazing. I could never do that. And then I accidentally befriended some of them. And it turned out they're people just like I am. Wow, they're people just like I am. And they're up there, they're doing this presentation. Maybe I could do that. And um, the year afterward, I actually did start to propose talks to various conferences. And I think Open Source Bridge may have been one of my first ones, but I'd have to go back and look at my records. Um, And I did it and I managed it and I didn't, die and people really liked it and I was like oh well this is kind of cool you get to teach people I like that and so I just started doing it a lot and doing research into how to do it better because while the first one was pretty good the next one was not <laughs> well and some, sometimes that's the way it works out though I mean it, in some ways like you know it's, it's unexpected I know I started my speaking career um accidentally very similar to what you were you were saying, Vicky. I was at Steel City Ruby. Um, I was approached by a gentleman named Corey Haynes, uh, who said, "Like, hey, you know, you're always at these events. You seem so social. You seem so fun. Why don't you give a talk?" And I said, "Well, I have half an idea for one." And he went and signed me up for a lightning talk, and I I felt compelled to do it. It was it's almost like a dare. Like, will will he do it? Will he not? Came off stage after this five minute lightning talk with no slides, barely knew what I was talking about talking about meet, how meetups should be treated like open source projects came off and a guy walked up and said, Hey, do you want to do that as a full talk at my conference? And it just changed the whole world. But now both of you are kind of in the professional venue. What is it, you know, to, to kind of go back and give a little intro, what is it that you're doing nowadays, Vicki? We'll start with you. Um, so I, of all these people here, I'm the non devrel in the group. Um, I, uh, have never been a DevRel, to be honest. Uh, I just am a very avid and popular and frequent public speaker. Um, I do corporate open source strategy. So how to make companies uh, successful by using, contributing to, and releasing free and open source software in a way that's good for their bottom line and for the community. So helping them come up with high level executive grade um, uh, corporate strategy involving open source software and everything that involves around that running open source program offices and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that uh, often involves uh, public speaking. Although I myself am not doing as much of it anymore. I've decided the world has seen enough of me at the moment and I'm trying to lift up other people and give them a voice because people have heard me a lot and there's plenty of other people out there who can actually do this presentation stuff. You don't need my face on it. Right on. Kat, what is it that you're doing these days? Uh, I actually am a developer advocate. Uh, My (laughs) official fancy job title is staff developer advocate at Pulumi, but uh, I don't actually talk about Pulumi much. Um, I I personally, as a developer advocate, I don't like only giving talks about like whatever my employer's product is. 
Um, though sometimes I do talk about infrastructure as code, I spend a significant amount of time um, in the Kubernetes community. Um, I'm on the release team for version 1.24, which I'm very excited about because we are finally removing Docker Shim and I'm on the comms team for that release, which means that my job is talking and communicating about what we're doing and why. Um, though I do still speak at conferences for, for my employer. Obviously, I don't just talk about Kubernetes. But um, yeah, but, I mean, you, could, you could have a whole career just talking about Kubernetes, though. I think there's, there's an audience for that. There is an audience for that. And it is like why I am where I am. But uh, I definitely got that attention because of a tweet, not because of a talk. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. And we could come back to that later. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So I, 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 we want to kind of talk about some of the mechanics that go into this. Um, I know that one of the things that we want to talk about is like abstracts and how, how someone can get started conferences. But I mean, in case you really want to go for the deep dive on that, Vicky is actually with us for Community Pulse episode 23. So if you want to find out more about CFPs and deep dives into abstracts, what gets you accepted, check out episode 23. But like, I want to start with like a more simple kind of high level question for both of you. How do you find conferences with open CFPs? Like, what's your methodology? How do you figure out, like, whether it's for yourself, whether you're steering someone who you're mentoring to figure out where they want to speak? Like, where I, I feel like it used to be a little more simple. It's like, oh, just everybody goes to paper call. That's where everything is, is a paper call or some really trashy Google forms at the conference you want to speak at. But it seems like the world's changed a lot since then. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. a lot. <laughs> it's, it's, it used to be a lot easier. Like you way back in the day, um, I am an old. And so I remember way back in the day, uh, you know, you just go to Lanyard and Lanyard. Oh my was, God, Lanyard. Oh, oh man. I loved Lanyard. It was just that. so good. It was perfect. You could go to one spot, one stop shopping. Um, but, uh, that's, that, those days are long past, unfortunately. And you do have to look at all sorts of different places. Um, like Twitter, obviously, is going to be a place to go. Um, the opensource.com calendar, event calendar, used to be good, but I believe they dropped that because the moderation was a pain in the butt. Uh, and it's just gotten to be so difficult. Um, I've just ended up signing up for mailing lists for a lot of conferences I used to know. And hoping that I get the notification um, and then obviously relying on my team and asking them to keep their eyes open because they're seeing a lot more things than I am. We're not all in the same places and asking them to, you know, when you find something, bring it into the team so we can all share and we can all see whether somebody wants to participate there, but it's no longer easy. Yeah. I have to go with like a, a multifaceted approach for this. So I check paper call, I check sessionize and I check Tallulah for just like open CFPs. But if I know that I'm looking for something a little bit more specific, like that I do when I'm just, what is open, right? But if I know that I have a talk that I think would be really good fit at a JavaScript conference, I will literally just Google JavaScript conferences. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I know that, that that sucks, it's very manual, it's not very reliable, but um, I found a lot of cool conferences that I didn't really know much about before or had never even heard of before because of like how heavily my Twitter leans towards like the DevOps and Kubernetes community, not very heavily towards the JavaScript community. It just doesn't come up for me unless I'm digging around on Google. But at work, um, we actually, we have a, uh, we use Airtable 
for this. Okay. And just uh, one of my like literal job responsibilities is finding open CFPs and putting them in Airtable and assigning them to one of my teammates. That's also linked to a uh, hashtag conferences channel. And every time a CFP that I have put into Airtable opens or is about to close, it sends a message to that Slack channel and anybody in the company can add conferences to that that Airtable. So right now that's only like a semi-useful resource because we just started doing this like two months ago, but eventually this will become a pretty comprehensive resource of like CFP open and closes or at least of conferences. So we can go and check like, is this conference opening a CFP this year or not? Because it is kind of like, are we doing a conference this year or not with the pandemic and all? Like people are definitely being a little bit... Um, it's Lessons? shifting sand. Yeah. I like to say it's shifting sand. Things are still, yeah, we're still figuring things out. I think for because there's just the conversation about hybrid. Also, you know, like it's not yeah. just about going back to how things were. Is there were a lot of wins, accessibility wins aside, just you know switching to an all virtual model, and uh, now we can, we can get the we can get the stuff out to a much broader audience. And you know, there's just so many wins that are just hard to ignore. But I don't think we've really solved the hybrid question yet. And uh, and I think for me, it feels like because of all of this, un these unknowns as to the state of events or whatever they are, in-person hybrid or otherwise, I would say the last two years, it has really splintered the, the aggregators that we used to rely on. Like it there has. was a couple of them that would bring them yeah. to us. Like it was just, I, I'd almost every week be able to pick and choose a couple different places I'd submit some CFPs to. I've kind of, I'm more on Vicky's side now. I've tried to step aside a little bit and be more of a, you know, you know, grease the the wheels for others. Um, I think I've been in the light, limelight a little too much, but the, you know, it's still part of the job and uh, I can't, I can't totally run away from it. Um, but I'm wondering, have both of you been involved as um, organizers of, of events as well, Kat? You've been an, yeah. an organizer, yeah. So you've, you've had a little bit of experience picking from mm -hmm. a pile of CFPs. I'm wondering what both of you might be able to share in terms of uh, our, our audience on some tips. What are you looking for in a good CFP? And how, do they get, how do they get chosen? We'll start with, uh, we'll start with Vicky. Um, well, first of all, you've got to tell us, don't bury the lead. Don't be clever. Don't, you know, say, oh, you're going to learn about something and then just not tell us. Be very specific. What are the exact takeaways for this audience member? As I'm an audience member and I'm reading this proposal that ends up in a schedule, I have this much time and this many events from which I could select. Why do I want to go to yours? And if you're going to go being all clever and cutesy and not tell me what you're actually going to teach me in this presentation, <clears throat> no, I'm not here for clever and cutesy. My manager is not paying for clever and cutesy. They're paying for me to learn stuff. So how am I, what am I going to learn? Give me actual solid takeaways. Give me a bullet list and I am a happy camper. Yeah, uh, I agree with all of that, especially if I am reviewing um, talks for KubeCon. I've been on the program committee for the last three KubeCons. And for instance, this year I had uh, like 137 talks to review. For me alone, one track, I had that many talks to review and I could accept like 15 of them. So 
the the acceptance rate is so outrageously low that seriously you you cannot half-ass an abstract for a big conference now for like smaller community events i have a lot more leeway to like assume that you know you will get there eventually but for big events you you really you do have to give me something not only do you have to give me the person reviewing your talk something you have to give the audience something because there are seven other really great talks happening in that exact time slot across other tracks. So why should an audience member go see you? And just like the power of who you are, like what your job title is, that is not going to convince an audience member to go in. It's not like I I've seen some incredible, powerful people give like really boring talks before and also yeah. some, some complete nobodies give like the best talk at a conference right. with a banging abstract to go with it so well that's really, a great point uh, yeah. yeah the the do the number of times i've seen people just sort of throw a bullshit context free oh don't worry you know me i'll come up with something yeah um, that the arrogance of no. oh well don't you know who i am oh those get super downloaded oh, yeah. and then i blacklist them from future events because i yeah. do this for a lot of events so, and, so then yeah. vicky let me tell you let me ask you this do you think if in the cfp the speaker was to indicate that their new speaker this is a first time they're trying to get on stage at like a big conference does that do anything for you for them yes and no it depends upon the conference um some conferences i've worked with uh like seagull up in seattle they put a lot of effort into um becoming kind of the uh junior leagues right they want to bring in new people they go out of their way to bring first-time keynoters on for instance to try and help people get that start in their career um and they have a, a field on their CFP, or they did, which is, I am a first-time speaker. And that was something that they would try to have a goal of having X number of first-time speakers. On the other hand, you have to be careful how you phrase that, because you're going to make it sound like, potentially, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here, right? Um, I you, you always want to say, if you do that, don't put yourself down. It's like, this is a great abstract because you got to propose a great abstract, right? You're going to bring your A game. And just so you know, this is my first time at an event this size or what have you. But, you know, don't make yourself sound diminished because you're not. Yeah. You're you're really good. You're doing this because you know your shit and you're going to be able to do a good talk and you're going to prepare adequately in advance. So be careful on it to not, you know, talk down to yourself. Yeah. yeah, KubeCon actually requires that. We we are required to accept a certain number of talks from people who have never spoken at KubeCon before. It's just like part of the selection criteria for the track chairs. So uh, I, I think it's a good thing. I, I don't want to see the same 15 people every time I go to a conference. I go to a lot of conferences. I can, I can see all y'all speak whenever I want. I want to see somebody new personally. Exactly. Well, and we've we've all had that, that first opportunity. I still share my, you know, my first speaking at a DevOps days, uh, which really opened the door for a lot of things for me. In fact, you know, make, you know, even the current job I'm in, I think I can trace all the way back to a lot of the DevOps days stuff that I did. And so I'm very thankful for the people who gave me an opportunity to speak, um, because it's, it's led, you know, one thing to another. And, um, I like hearing that same story from other people. Um, but it requires us like being intentional about giving those opportunities mm-hmm. to people. 
Mm -hmm. so I love it when when conferences go out of their way. Although some, I will say sometimes the 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 selection process that we're given to choose things, you know, it's anonymized as best as possible. It's meant to weed out those things, like Vicky said, where it's just like a, a big name person that says, "Oh, I'll figure out something when I get there." Like, no, you're going to have to give us an abstract. Like, this is a program we're building. We're not just going to, you know, rely on your your heroism. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's difficult sometimes to like weave that narrative into an abstract, but I think it might it might benefit some folks to say something to the effect of, you know, I'm looking forward to like talking speaking on this subject for the first time uh, or something along those lines, I think can can at least trigger something in my mind anywhere. I'd be like, oh, you know, let's give this other person a shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that you actually brought up uh, the anonymization process there, Jay, because one of the things that I think is interesting is, uh, and this this is a little bit of a, a darker, less good thing. When you when you apply to speak somewhere, and your proposal is much better if you are honest. And I'm sure a lot of people are listening is going like, well, yeah, of course it's honest, but like that means you also follow the rules of the the accepting body, the organization that's throwing the conference. If it's not the first time you're actually doing this talk, don't tell them it's the first time you're doing this talk. Um, if you are not an experienced speaker, speaker, don't present yourself as an experienced speaker. And if it says it is anonymized, and I get very passionate about this, do not find a way to put your name in the damn CFP. We oh, like, that drives me crazy. Instant, instant cut. As soon as I see, you know, and Dave likes to talk about blah blah blah, and Dave is not nope. on my program. <laughs> Bye, Dave. Nope. Let it be known. That, that is always yeah. a trigger yeah. for us. If, if anyone here, this is a declarative statement. If anyone is applying to a a, a program that I am a part of an organization that I am a part of, and you put your name in my anonymized CFP, you will not be speaking at that program. There is um, never any reason at all, full stop, for any conference, for anyone to be putting their names in their abstracts. Yeah. It's, it's just not just, about you. It's, it's so not about you. It's about your audience. It, exactly. It's self-absorbed. So like, self-absorbed. It's not about you. Get your name out of there, you arrogant twit. It's, it's obnoxious. And similarly, um, if you think you're being cute with a talk title like make x great again never you're not and i immediately decline those and i will never let you speak at a conference i have control over so do not make that joke it's not funny it's uh it wasn't funny the first time i saw it but like everybody tries that every talk i review has like th there's always at least one so not only is it not funny it's also like not original so, like, please do better. Yeah, well, you're gonna I, I that, goes, really helps a lot. that goes back yeah, to what sing it, was sister. Saying. Don't don't be don't try to be clever. Don't, don't try to be clever. Yeah. Like, because chances are you're not. You can you can be like you can have a fun title. You know, it doesn't have to be yeah. like boring and stiff and like generic, right? Like, you can you can you can show some personality, but there's mm -hmm. a difference between getting cute and showing personality. Right. So, uh, yeah. Not to not to like pin pivot here, but just to sort of take, uh, I guess, jump on that a little bit. The does it matter what type of event um, you're speaking uh, at? If it's a big event, if it's a small event, like, are there different abstract rules for different types of events? Well, uh, it's uh, you're always something that really cheeses me off is seeing somebody who is so obviously just cut and paste their abstract between things and haven't bothered to modify it whatsoever. Um, because not every audience is the same. And so therefore not every abstract should be the same. Um, you should be able to tailor your abstract for that audience. A JavaScript 
audience is not the same as a DevOps audience is not the same as, you know, a uh, open source 101 audience. These are different audiences. And so you need to phrase things somewhat differently and respect their individuality and their uniqueness as an audience. Right. Even different JavaScript audiences, even different DevOps audiences are different. So for crying out loud, put some effort in. Right. Don't just cut and paste and disrespect your audience in that way. Modify. Right. And, and I think that that really speaks to somewhere else that we want to talk. So there's CFPs for conferences and conferences. There's a whole spectrum of conferences. But there's also I've seen a lot more, especially since the switching over to virtual, some more CFPs for meetups. And do you think there's like there's a real difference between the way you set up a CFP or set up a submission that you're going to do, uh, mm -hmm. a talk that you're going to do for a meetup versus a conference? Um, what, what's your take on that? I think it's a little bit. There's a little bit of difference there. There's a little bit of difference just in like, but it's not because it's a meetup versus a conference. It's because of like the type of audience, mm -hmm. uh, which goes back to what Vicky was saying. Like at a conference, like. I am more likely to give like a, a big, powerful thought leadershipy type talk or like uh, a technical overview of some like some tool or methodology that's like super hot right now, because that's what the audience there expects. That's what they want. That's what they are paying money to be at this conference for. Mm -hmm. But meetups are generally like a little bit more casual. And while, yeah, I can totally give that like technical overview if the audience is right, it's um it's often like more more practical it's also like much more personal mm -hmm. at a meetup and uh at meetups or like small community events the the audience is also often more interested in just like goofy shit you know <laughs> like it doesn't have to be like serious work stuff all the time i wrote a talk about hacking drones and like building a self-driving car and that content is great for meetups because that's what that audience expects it's not what the audience at a conference suspect expects. So it's, mm -hmm. it's still just like a difference of who's in the crowd and like me doing my job is presenting the content in a way that the crowd expects to receive it. Right. Like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have, have, have either of you spoken at any events that like outside of tech um, where maybe you were brought in to be a speaker because you have a name or something like that. And now you're speaking to, I don't want to say a non-technical audience, but you're non-traditional, like not developers, not, you know, practitioners. You're speaking to like, I don't know, CTOs or investment bankers yeah. who are interested in a thing. Do you feel I, like that whole process is totally different? Like the whole talking is totally different? Yes. They're a different audience. Um, you know, I can't go throwing around tech buzzwords to CTOs and I do present to CTOs all the time. Um, but I'm also, for instance, speaking um, at GDC this year, um, Game Developer Conference. Rad. Um, it's it's about open source. I know. I love it. So cool. I'm so I'm so <laughs> I'm jealous right now. Really oh, do you need a man? Do you need a date? Uh, except I'm doing it remote, and I'm I'm co-presenting with a friend of mine in Hobart, Tasmania, and so we're recording it together, and he's going to edit it. Together. It's so that cool. Is so we're going to be fucking cool. It is so fucking cool. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, but what I'm finding is that, so my my dear friend that with whom I'm presenting, he is a game developer. This is what he does. And he is just mind-blowingly clever and brilliant, although he would deny that. Um, and But my usual approach to presenting the information 
has to change. And he's there to say, no, 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 you can't say it that way because that will work well for game developers. You have to say it this way. And I'm so grateful to have him there to help keep me on the straight and narrow, right? And make sure that I am speaking to the audience. I'm so grateful for it. CTOs, I know really well. Game devs, less so. Yeah, it's definitely important to know the audience. I'm curious. So with that specific um, conference, or maybe not, doesn't have to be specific to that, you know how a lot of a lot of conferences will offer some support to their speakers, whether that's travel or hooking them up with some coaching, you know, if they're, they're a first time speaker, like there's a lot, there's oftentimes different things. Um, we, we, curious from both of you, what are some of the things that um, you've seen out there or some things that we want to maybe hope for? Some, some conferences to start doing for our speakers, even though we're not going back to, you know, in-person events entirely and maybe travel budgets aren't, aren't really the same type of conversations. Um, let's start with you, Kat. Like what, what are some things conferences can do to, to really help support speakers? So this, this tends to really vary a lot. Some conferences, uh, if they invite you to speak, will, um, offer on the front end to pay for your travel, to pay for your hotel, and to pay for meals. I never take that because I'm a developer advocate and public speaking is my job. So it would be it would be double dipping. My employer is paying for this. Um, but some conferences do offer that right off the front end. Most don't. Some of them also have like a scholarship fund to cover speakers that like submit through the CFP and get accepted but can't afford to travel. Because uh, it is expensive, and that is a huge barrier for a lot of speakers who like need to present in person. Um, some conferences with a more like more of a bent towards academia, or who have like clearly taken inspiration from academic conferences, will also offer an honorarium, which is a way of paying speakers without like paying them. An honorarium is a very like specific term. Um, that's not that's also not super duper common in tech, but. Again, you do see it. Um, I've actually seen, sorry to interrupt, Kent, but I've actually seen more and more with honorariums and travel benefits, the opportunity for someone like like you or I who is getting paid by organization to to go. Yeah. Where you can say, hey, you know what? Don't pay for my travel. Don't pay for my hotel. Don't pay for that stuff. Um, give it to, give it to someone who needs yeah. it. So I do that every, every time that I'm offered uh, – travel or expenses covered. That's what I tell them to do. Um, however, sometimes conferences don't offer that um, or the honorarium like evenly across their speakers, which is why I have a speaker writer uh, that requires that if I am speaking your, at your conference, uh, for instance, if you're paying me, you need to be paying all of the speakers. Uh, if you are offering to cover my travel and all of that, you need to be offering the same for everybody else. And I set standards for that with like, you need to get me there a day or two before the conference. I need a hotel room N plus minus one. I need a, a badge for the full conference. Um, and I do that not because I'm a diva. They are going to give those things to me anyway. But because uh, speakers with less experience than I have and less power than I have, they can't make those requests without feeling like their ability to speak at that conference is compromised, feeling like it might be yanked out from underneath them. 
so I have the power to enforce that for people who don't have the power to enforce it themselves. And some new speakers don't even know that they can ask for those things. Mm -hmm. I didn't when I was new. You can ask for those things and you should. I, that, so. That's the important, I think, take the big takeaway. And thank you for bringing that up is because I think most people, especially new people who, who were, you know, sort of our audience for this show or this topic is it's it's a foreign thing to be able to make requests um, but it is a thing and we should be open and telling more people about what what is the things that we can ask for uh, it's not being a diva it, it's it's uh it's being respectful uh, i mean to be clear cat is a diva but that's not the yeah. reason I mean, why. this is yeah. not it yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no I, I think you bring up a good point jay and I, I think that there's another side to that there are people who don't get to speak at conferences because their employer doesn't pay for them and they're speaking at conferences where there aren't those packages where they're going to help you with your travel or help you with coaching. And I think you should also be willing to stand up for that and say like, Hey, listen, boss, you want me to represent the company. You want me to wear the t-shirt. You want me to slap the logo on and go up on stage and talk about how great we do things here, but you're not willing to put me on a plane you gotta to do pay it. For that. Um, you gotta pay for that. Gotta pay for that. I did. And, and especially right now where DevRel is like getting hired everywhere. If your employer make sure you're paying, is putting folks. you on a transatlantic flight, like greater oh. than eight hours for a conference, do you not are get put you in coach. Yeah. Do not, you are not flying a coach. You're flying not, not even comfort plus you're flying premium economy mm -hmm. at minimum. Yeah. At minimum. Seriously. Like, because otherwise you're going to, you're going to get there. You're going to look like shit. You're going to feel like shit. And, and you'll perform like shit. Yeah. You'll perform exactly. like shit. It, it makes so, a huge like, difference. It, yeah, if yeah. they want you to do a good job representing their company on the other side of the planet, they need to get you there yeah. comfortably. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and and I and and I know PJ, you're going to take this last one here before we start winding down, but I, I wanted to sort of position this because I feel like this is a good setup. Those type of things keep me coming back. They keep me at. Mm -hmm. They keep me at uh, in the DevRel space because. I can be a professional. People treat me professionally. I have things that I need as like a pregame setup. And I know my system, you know, like all the things I got to do to be able to build content, present content. And at our level, like we are professionals at what, at what we do. And I think when that relationship is respected from conference organizers and from the people who have mutual relationships with us, it keeps me coming back. I'm curious to hear Kat and Vicky as we as we uh, wrap up here. What keeps you coming back as a public speaker, Vicky? Um, well, it used to be because I was a freelancer and it would get me job, uh, you know, leads for my my stuff. Uh, now it's primarily because I there are so many things out there that people misunderstand um, around free and open source software, and me getting out there and getting in front of it and talking about these things and reaching out to people and then recording. I record all of my own talks myself and I put them all on internet archive and I'm constantly sharing. And here's how you can get this information. Here's how you can get this information because there's so much misinformation out there. And this is how we're going to fix some of the problems that we in free and open source software have created for ourselves um, over the decades uh, to help create a more sustainable and healthy ecosystem for free and open source software, which really underpins everything in technology. And so it's really important that we make sure we do this right. And so getting out there and talking and sharing my information, that's how I do it. I don't keep it to myself. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I've got two answers. I've got the, uh, the one that's going to get 
um, a certain type of person to scream at me on Twitter and the um, professionally appropriate one. The first one is that I like attention. I do. I really like attention and I don't think that that's anything to be ashamed of, but a certain type of person thinks it is. Um, the professionally appropriate and also very true answer is that I really like teaching people things. And I think that in our industry, at least in the specific parts of tech I exist in, which is DevOps and Kubernetes, uh, is that there is a dearth of like truly beginner friendly content. We tend to have a lot of stuff written as like 101 or uh, quick start guides, but they're written by experts who have forgotten what it's like to not know something. And that's not meant to be derogatory. We all do that. We all become an expert in something and we forget what it's like to not be an expert. It's very easy to do. It's very normal. And it takes active effort to hold on to what it's like to not know something. Um, so I don't want people to struggle to learn freaking Kubernetes like I did. I don't think Kubernetes is actually as difficult to learn as the reputation presents. It's just that we're bad at teaching it. We don't give people the context they need to like understand why we have this tool because they didn't experience the pain point that existed to cause the creation of this tool. So they don't like inherently understand it. We have to tell them. And that's usually the kind of stuff that I talk about. And it's it's very gratifying to help somebody like not struggle with a thing that I struggled with. Absolutely. It's, you know? the, it's a light bulb moment, right? It's yeah, like, it's the light like, bulb moment. Because for me, one of the big things, I love being on stage. And I, I'm, uh, for those of you who have seen me know that I'm, I'm a stage wanderer. I like a handheld mic. I like to walk all over the place. But when I look out into the crowd and I see somebody who just like it dawns, whatever I'm talking about, it's just like it suddenly dawns on them. And I'm like, yes, this is why I do this. Like, the clapping's nice too. I'm not going to lie. The attention thing, you're not wrong. Oh yeah, it um, was. I was a middle child, but we're not going to get into that. I'm um, the oldest. But uh, that explains a lot. We're going to go into that. that after the episode, Kat. Um, but uh, but no, I'm mean, like seriously, like yeah, I love I love the clapping. I love the attention, but I love the attention when it comes with someone coming up afterwards and going like, you know, I never thought about it this way, and you just really clarified that whole point to me, and now I'm going to go try and do that thing. Yeah, yeah. That That's makes awesome. the whole thing worth it. It does. Absolutely. And I like the endorphins too. Like it's a, it's a, oh, it's a rush. It's, it's, it's a, a real um, rush. I, I, I get those same butterflies doing only certain other things. Um, and it's a performance thing too, you know, like being like, I have a musical background. So being on, on stage, like singing in front of people is literally where, where I cut my teeth. We didn't, I didn't talk about that at the beginning, but I, you know, I fell into DevRel because I had a background of speaking into a microphone. Um, by singing melodically band basically yeah. yeah speaking into a microphone melodic uh, but i'm a technical person so it was like my night thing became my day thing sort of all of a sudden um, which was nice and um with that i think maybe it's time to pivot away and uh start wrapping up here uh cat and vicky it's been great having you on and talking about this thank you for your expertise and being here with us yeah thanks for having us yeah, yeah really glad that, to be asked yeah Absolutely. So this last section here, PJ, you want to explain it to him and we'll go forward yeah, on, on yeah. his uh, in so, order there? Well known, my favorite part of the show. Um, we always do checkouts. They don't have to be tech related. They don't have to have anything to do with the things that we've been talking about. Sometimes it's just like some cool things that we want people to check out. Um, so we're kind of sharing our love, our hobbies, our things that we do during our downtime with you. So with that, actually, Jay, why don't you start us off and give us your checkouts for this episode? 
Okay, sure. So this week we've been talking about uh, events and first-time speakers and just you know what it's like to get into public speaking because that's a big component of, of DevRel. Um, I was pleased to find, I think, out last week or the week before that DevOps Days Rockies uh, is happening in person, which is, uh, I'm not involved with it this year, but it's one that's, uh, that I've been involved with pretty much every year since the beginning of it. So it's really great to see that they're coming back into person. Uh, uh, doing an in-person event um, with all the, you know, all the precautions and everything. So it's get, great to see that. And then another event that's on the horizon, it's completely online, uh, but I think it's looking like it's going to be a, a good one. I don't usually go for database specific conferences, but Azure, Azure Cosmos DB Conf looks pretty good. So, and that one, uh, so De DevOps Days Rockies is not accepting CFPs, but Azure Co Cosmos one is accepting CFPs currently. Uh, and those are the things I have to share. Awesome. Awesome. Vicki, you want to give us your checkouts? Uh, sure. So first of all, in the past week or so, uh, Harvard has released a really interesting uh, and vast new study called Harvard Census 2, uh, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, <laughs> so they did have a Census 1, and it's all about um, the overall free and open source software ecosystem and looking at dependency trees and what are the most uh, popular and frequently used um, open source libraries and pieces of software. And for this one, um, for the last one, they had one data set. For this one, they brought in three different data sets from different groups like uh, GitHub and Sneak and stuff like that to bring them in. Um, and so it's really, really fascinating to look at. Um, and they hit the same problem all of us do in open source uh, supply chain stuff, which is OMG NPM. So they split out all the NPM stuff into its own list, which Thank God, because otherwise you couldn't find anything in there. Um, so that's really fascinating uh, to look at. And I like that. It's going to be useful for years and years to come. So if you're doing anything in software, please have a look at that. But the one that really is a hitting home for me as a just human being outside of tech is the hashtag yarn is for everyone, which is where the uh, fiber arts community knitting, crocheting and stuff like that, they're having really deep down in-depth conversations about uh, the value of their work as designers, as knitters, as crocheters and how they are unable to do their work because people don't value it. They expect to get it for free. And it's a lot of the same sort of stuff that we're hearing around um, around this public speaking, right? And we've been having these same conversations around this is a job, this is what I do, it is worth paying for it, it's worth getting remuneration for it. And so they're having a very interesting and sometimes difficult conversation on this hashtag and it tracks directly with a lot of the conversations we have in tech. It's very interesting that uh, this is a, uh, these are things that are typically seen as women's work, it's coded as feminine. And so therefore that, comes into it as well. And especially in uh, during International Women's Day was this week or something like that. And you know, your Twitter stream goes to hell because everyone tags you and shit, right? Um, but uh, it's really interesting looking at it in that way as well. Uh, so it's really fascinating to look at and draw comparisons. Awesome, thanks Vicky. Kat, what have you got? Ooh, I'm not gonna talk about tech at all. Um, so I'm an amateur photographer and I have, uh, recently gotten into film photography. Um, I have several film cameras. Um, but one of my favorites is, um, a Mamiya RB67 with 
um, a modified Instax back on it because Instax film is really cool, especially when it's expired. It behaves like really unpredictably, but um, actual Instax branded cameras suck and they don't have like things like swappable lenses or like aperture control, like none of that. You, um, they're, they're really just like not all that, all that useful. So I started looking for ways to use like real lenses and a real camera body, um, but print to Instax. And one of the ways to do that is with this like big honking camera from the 1970s and bolting an Instax back on it, right? But that sucks. And it's also kind of inconvenient. This camera weighs like seven pounds or something with this lens on it. However, there is a company called Nons, which recently completed a Kickstarter for the SL660. And it is like an actual camera body with uh, interchangeable lenses. It takes, uh, it can take Nikon or Canon or M mount lenses and it prints to Instax Square and it, it looks like an SLR. It, it looks like an actual SLR film camera. It is very cool. I am so excited. And um, you should, you should be able to get some like much nicer photos out of Instax film with this thing, it's obviously still gonna be Instax film. So it's not gonna be like super sharp. The colors are gonna be weird. It's gonna be like, you're gonna see some vignetting around the edges, whatever, but it gets you a vibe that you can only get out of Instax with the like reliability and control of a real camera lens. And I am so pumped for this thing. That That is awesome. So I know there actually seems to be, I think in DevRel, there are a lot of people who are into cameras and photography. And so, yeah, definitely check that out. For my checkouts, um, I've got two things. One is the, uh, some folks might've seen, there is now a DevRel page on Wikipedia. Uh, Ooh, really? I, I have, yes, yes. Um, I was just as shocked as you were. I don't, I, I will fully say this and I'm okay if it creates controversy. I do not agree with a lot of things that are on that page, but it's a Wikipedia page. So let's all fix it so can, that the community is in place. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so, but I mean, I also think it does have a lot of value for the, I need to explain to my CTO what my job is. Here's a link. Go read a Wikipedia page. Um, don't have time to read all of Mary's book. Here's a Wikipedia page. Um, but there, there is some value there, and I think it's going to grow and it's going to improve just like any anything that adds to Wikipedia. The other thing I have is, of course, uh, music-related. Uh, there's a band from New Jersey that I'm a big fan of. They're called American Beauty. They are super hard to find. They are a math rock band called American Beauty, which is a Grateful Dead album and a Grateful Dead song and a movie soundtrack. So I love you guys, but I wish you had gone with a different name. But uh, this week they came out with a split seven inch, a split seven inch with the band Inner Love. And so it's two math rock bands back to back, really enjoyable. Um, so definitely check that out. We'll have the link in the show notes. And with that, uh, Vicky, Kat, thank you so much for being with us for this episode of Community Pulse. We really enjoy all the input you had. Jason, thanks as always for being my co-host. Um, mm -hmm. And I know our other co-hosts are out and gallivanting about the country. But if you want to get into speaking, always feel free to reach out to us at Community Pulse. We're happy to, to offer some advice on anything that we talk about here. Or just let us know that we're doing a good job. All that information is going to be in the closing thing. But before we end, as is tradition, I like to end with a quote. We're going with punk rock quotes this year. And what I have for you today is awesome. Play before you get good, because by the time you get good, you're too old to play. Joey Ramone. So with that, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time on Community Pulse. Bye, everyone. This has been Community Pulse. 
Learn more at communitypulse.io and on Twitter at community underscore pulse. Your hosts are Mary Thingball, Mary underscore Grace on Twitter, Jason Hand, Jason Hand on Twitter, PJ Haggerty, Asplenic on Twitter, SJ Morris, Sarah Jane Morris on Twitter, and Wesley Faulkner, Wesley83 on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.